Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Monday, August 19th, and that only means one thing. It is ACC preview time. It is the show where we recap, or really preview, all 14 teams across the ACC. Uh, this is kind of the episode that is the end-all, be-all of the off-season previews. Pretty soon we're going to have nothing to talk about but actual football games, so we're looking forward to that. If this is your first time joining us, we are the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. Tim, what's going on? I am sitting on this couch right now watching preseason NFL football, and I could not be happier. I am super, super excited for football to get started. It's already kind of started right now with this uh, preseason football light kind of stuff. Um, but breaking news, this is just in. Kyler Moore, Murray is very short. Yeah, I'm not. That game isn't on where I'm at. I'm actually just watching NFL Network kind of go around here. But I got to tell you, like this time of year, the amount of uh, – football content that I'm taking in is at just probably an unhealthy level right oh, now yeah. to be honest oh, yeah. so we've got the tv shows I've watched almost four seasons of last chance you in about three weeks my man um I've got you know QB1 I still need to get to hard knocks is ongoing I'm catching up on ballers I've got you know the ESPN fantasy football marathon that I you know was sure to tune into I've got all the uh you know, previews to watch and listen to just across the podcast, and now you've got this one. So it's it's just that time of year where it's just, it's kind of just like the Christmas season for football. Oh yeah, it is. And we're basically there. That's the exciting part is the lull of the off season is kind of worn off because we're getting enough drip feed of football content at this point to sustain us until we get there. Um, and we're also at the point now where we're talking about, you know, some game previews, uh, it's one more dry weekend before we get some actual football that counts. I'm ready, man. I'm ready to do it. All right. Well, let's not waste any more time. Let's just go ahead and jump into it. And uh, if you don't mind, I think we'll just go ahead and start with the ACC Atlantic, Tim. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, a couple of storylines that I've kinda, I kind of see here. One, will Clemson lose a game? Uh, <laughs> can Syracuse repeat success? You know, what does that new look NC State offense look like? Sure. Year three of Willie Taggart and everything that holds, is it a soap opera in Tallahassee or is it a comeback story? I'm not sure. Uh, Wake Forest, are they the darling that everybody wants and maybe expects them to be, except for the preseason ACC voters, that is? And uh, Steve Adazio's hot seat. I mean, I think those are probably the biggest trends in the ACC Atlantic heading into this season. Uh, we'll see how a lot of those play out, um, and we'll talk about them a little bit now. But first, Tim, let's uh, let's get started with Clemson. So, Clemson is a team. You know, in 2018, they had the number four scoring offense and the number 23rd passing offense. I think in 2019, those are probably two categories that they might actually improve on to oh, be yeah. to be that high and to actually be able to improve on those two areas is is pretty impressive they're returning seven starters four out of five of their offensive linemen are either seniors or grad students you know they have the best quarterback arguably in college football not really arguably definitely in the ACC yeah you know he's the early Heisman favorite he's got a ton of weapons to throw to you know he he was didn't start playing last year until week four and when he did start playing Tim Clemson's last 10 games they won by at least 20 points, and that includes the semifinal of the college football playoff and the national championship game against Paul Feinbaum's Alabama Crimson Tide. <laughs> that is 
pretty impressive. And Trevor Lawrence, by the way, first freshman to lead his team to a national championship since 1985. So that's kind of her introduction in uh, in close of Clemson. I mean, the amount of talent they have on this team is just almost unheard of. And, yeah. you know, they're in the ACC, which uh, which bodes well for them. Yeah, it does. The ACC not going to be the, the stiffest of competition this year. Uh, for Clemson, but if you're a Clemson fan, that doesn't matter to you. For all intents and purposes, they're headed uh, for another national title appearance. I, I don't imagine that they'll get tripped up even in the playoff game. Um, and I know that's that, that may be considered getting way ahead of yourself, but with a team like Clemson, especially on the offensive line, the consistency there, along with the playmakers, just explosion everywhere with Etienne, uh, let alone what Lawrence is able to do back there, quarterback. It's crazy. He stepped in and made everyone forget about Kelly Bryant. I mean, honestly, I, I was literally looking at a, a preview of the SEC, and I was like, oh, yeah, Kelly Bryant. That guy was a thing at one point. Uh, yeah. Completely spaced on that. Um, and that speaks to how good he is. And do I think Clemson will lose? Actually, I kind of do. I, I think Clemson may lose one game. I don't think it's going to keep them out of the national title game. But there's this weird feeling um, that Clemson may walk into a situation like a Syracuse of the past or a Pitt situation that they found themselves in where they just pick one game to either, either sleepwalk, um, maybe Lawrence gets an injury, um, you know, you're, you're thinking that offensive line is going to keep him fairly clean, but the, I, I think there's a pretty good chance they do get snuck in the ACC play maybe once this year. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know because yeah, there's there's definitely a chance they could lose. You know, I mean, let's say Trevor Lawrence goes down for a game, I still think they should win, even with Chase Bryce in their quarterback. I think yeah. he's a pretty pretty he's serviceable backup. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean. To think of the amount of talent that Clemson has on this team and that there's actually true freshmen coming in and buying for playing time, like that just means those guys are just straight-up ballers. Ballers, I mean, yeah. The fact that you can be a true freshman and fight for playing time at Clemson right now, yeah. I mean, that means you could have gone to literally any program in college football and been first string, no doubt about it. Yep. Other than maybe Alabama and Georgia. Those are the three programs where – if you're a true freshman and you're fighting for playing time, like you're a future top 10 pick probably in the NFL. So Yeah, I mean there's no doubt. There is that, but you know, Clemson, I just the defense, I guess is my biggest question mark, but yeah, the only it, thing I'd I'd really kind of expect to look out for with this defense is can these younger guys that you know haven't played in it as much at least as as first stringers can they adapt to Venable's you know complexity and they've had you know months to do that so I'm pretty high on Clemson's defense that I have no reason not to be you know running back Travis Etienne you know (laughs) ACC player of the (laughs) year the guy's gonna have over 2,000 all-purpose yards if he stays healthy he's gonna be a guy in the in the Heisman uh Heisman consideration the Trevor Lawrence to Justin Ross connection I can't wait to watch that for the next two years because I mean those (laughs) those two are probably gonna go one and two in the NFL draft in uh 2021 or whatever year it is so yeah I don't know I mean so so what do you what do you think schedule wise so I mean they open the season against Georgia Tech Easy. They, yeah. they host Texas A&M. I think they're going to win that one pretty handily. They're on the road at Syracuse, which is the one game like early in the season where I'd yep. be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a trap game for sure. I don't, I don't even think it's a trap game. I well, just I think mean, it's a game they need. to When be I say with. trap game with Clemson, that's as much of a. I guess I should rephrase that. That's as much of, as much of a trap game as Clemson will have all year. The 
only other away games I see them possibly having. I mean, I you know, NC State I don't think is going to pose much yeah. of a threat this year. South yeah. Carolina, no. Louisville, no. You know, they host Florida State, Wake, and Boston College. Like, I just I don't see where they're going to lose I, unless it's that Syracuse game. Yeah, but that's what I, I mean. Just, I think if they the go in there, one. I think if they go in there full strength. They're not going to lose. And I think if they do lose in the regular season, even in the ACC championship, depending on what happens around them, that's going to be something to watch because they don't have the strongest schedule unless some of these teams like Florida State and Wake Forest like step up and are better than you know they were picked to be in the preseason. Right. Um, you know, that could maybe help them you know, balance a little bit of a weaker schedule. But Texas A&M probably is going to be ranked super high at the end of the season because of their schedule. Yeah. They're going to have probably four losses minimum. They can't really afford to lose again, which Texas A&M's history, they haven't been able to rebound after a big loss occasionally from time to time. So that's something to watch there. But I don't know. I like Clemson to go undefeated. I like them to end up in the college football playoff. You know, and they have a legit shot of making a national championship. It's hard to predict them a team at this day and age going to the national championship because of the playoff like atmosphere in the college football playoff these days. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I like their chance just as good as I'd like Alabama's or Georgia's. And you know, oh, yeah. those are the three teams that I think are, are fighting for a national championship berth this year. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely agree. All right. So let's jump over to, uh, let's jump over to our Syracuse orange friends. So, you know, we just featured them with uh, the SP Nation writer, Kevin Wall, at Noon's Magician. And I, I said that wrong during the interview a couple of times. So it's <laughs> uh, it's one of those tricky blog names that kind of catches you off guard. But It is. You know, key storylines for Syracuse. You know, Tommy DeVito at quarterback is defense the strength, and they've got an elite special teams. So they're looking to replicate – uh, their first 10 win season since 2002, yeah, 2002, I believe it was. And, right. uh, you know, Babers, Babers is a guy with a lot of, a lot of attention on him right now from, uh, the national media. You know, he's perceived to be one of the, you know, I guess one of the next great coaches in college football. Yeah. Uh, this defense is, is pretty loaded. And to me, it's, it's Syracuse is a team that could definitely beat Clemson. You know, yes, it's going to be very difficult, and I, I think it has less to do with their defense and what, what can they do on offense to play a team like Clemson. But, you know, if you look at uh, if you look at their defensive line, Kendall Coleman and Alt Robinson on that D-line, I mean, one of the best duos in college football. And I yeah, think they're, yeah. they're being a little bit overlooked, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, they, they rival 2005 NC State with Mario Williams and Manny Lawson. They, they combined for 20 sacks last year. Uh, 34 tackles for loss. Those guys were absolute monsters. Um, and, you know, they bring them back. And that's a huge advantage when you pair it with their secondary, that absolutely ball hawk. Yeah, and, I mean, you talk about the secondary here. You've got Andre Sisco at safety, Evan Foster returning at the strong safety precision. you got Chris Frederick coming back at cornerback, and just a slew of guys that are ready to kind of step in and, and fill some of those other roles. I mean, they've got – They've got a pretty special group there in the secondary, a pretty special group up front, really athletic defensive linemen. Um, It's really the linebackers that are kind of the question mark of this defense. You know, I I don't think many teams are going to be able to run, uh, run the ball down their throat, but if they do get to that second level, what happens at that point? I think that's one of the bigger question marks uh, that 
that needs to be answered uh, from Syracuse's defensive standpoint. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, and, you know, it, it's not a defense with a lot of questions. That is one question. Um, you know, the other question I have, too, and I think this is the main question, is really on the other side of the ball. When you consider the quarterback, and they're going to be breaking a new quarterback uh, with DeVito in a system that is quarterback-friendly, which should bode well for him. However, uh, it, sometimes it is hard to replace a guy that has been as much of a stalwart as Eric Dungy was. Um, so we go into this season with that question and that focus on Syracuse. How does that new quarterback transition occur? Is it smooth? I think it will be. Um, you know, I'm not terribly concerned about Babers getting production out of quarterback. I think that's a system that really can uh, bolster a quarterback's performance uh, and really boost some stats. Uh, stretching the field sideline to sideline is going to be super effective and, and easy uh, on a quarterback, make the game kind of easy on them. But still, that's always going to be a question is, is what are they going to get from that quarterback position? Yeah, and I, you know, Syracuse is a team, they're going to beat you with a really good defense. They're going to be able to control field position with their special teams unit that just absolutely oh, dominates. Yeah. They've got a big playmaker in Sean Riley in the punt return game, the kick return game. They dominate uh, the um, position on the field. And one of the things that they do really well offensively is they're very efficient. They don't mm -hmm. face a lot of long third downs. They're a team that does not find themselves scrambling on the offensive side of the football. That's a team that can be very dangerous in a very big moment, which is why that Clemson game, especially up in the Carrier Dome, is definitely one to watch there in Week 3. And it's one of a few games to watch in Week 3. Week 3 is going to be an exciting week in the, uh, in the ACC. So, you know, I like Syracuse receivers. Sean Riley, Nakeem Johnson, Tosh Harris, you know, the guy coming off of his freshman year. Yeah. Uh, running back, they got Mo Neal. They've got the Oklahoma transfer and Abdul Adams. Like, this is going to be a pretty fun offense to watch. You know, I think the biggest question mark on offense, too, Tommy DeVito. You know, how how good is he going to be in year one as a starter? And they're also replacing two tackles on the offensive line, which is never ideal, especially no. when you're coming in with a new quarterback. So. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, what do you think record-wise, Tim, for for old Syracuse? You know they've got road games at Liberty and Maryland to open the season. Uh, then they're on the road with NC State, FSU, Duke, and Louisville. They have Clemson, Pitt, Boston College, and Wake at home. Right. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to go eight and four on the Syracuse Orange. I, I don't think that they're going to get it near that 10-win mark that they hit last season. And, and if you look at 10-win teams, I think they were one of the weaker 10-win teams out there. Um, I don't think that's that's uh, you know going out on a limb too much. But I'm, I'm thinking 8-4, and four, sort of a regression to the mean a little bit. Not necessarily because they lost a lot of talent, but just that uh, you know it's, things are going to shake out and break a little differently for them this year. Um, you know, I will say there's certainly potential there to outperform that number, but from what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing on paper, I think eight and four is a pretty safe assumption. Yeah, I'm a little bit higher. I've got Syracuse at ten and two as a uh, as a real threat to get that Orange Bowl bid. Wow. I think you know if you look at their out of conference, I'm not worried about Liberty. I'm not really worried about Maryland. You know, at home they've got Pitt, Boston College, and Wake. Wake's the only team I, I'm really worried about there, but right. I think it's it's in Syracuse. On the road at Florida State will be interesting. You know, Florida State's a team we just don't really know what to expect from them. Duke and Louisville, those those are wins. NC State should be a win, uh, but you know who mm. knows how Dave Doran's got them going. It's that's yeah. a tough game to call at this point. So it's yeah, one of those toss up for me. That's one of those fifty fifty games at this point. Yep. I just think at this point I feel 
pretty good about them reaching 10 wins. It's it's going to it's going to be difficult, but um, I do think they're probably the second best team in the ACC this season. Yeah, and, and that was one of those eight and four. Really, uh, if if you kind of split it out, it was really between eight and four, nine and three for me uh, for Syracuse, and and they really have a friendly schedule this year to break in uh, Tommy DeVito. So so good for them, and, and they could certainly hit that ten win mark. It'll be interesting to see how they come out and how they look, uh, given the fact that they're not going to sneak up on anybody this year. Um, with the way that they played last year, they, they're kind of going to be circled on a couple of teams' calendars going into ACC play. Uh, so NC State, let's jump to them. And sure. uh, if you're an NC State fan or you know want to hear more about NC State in depth, go check out our episode with James Henderson of Inside Pack Sports. I think that was one of our uh, one of our better episodes, and absolutely um, had a great time talking to James. A lot of insight. Uh, it was a great conversation, and we went pretty much position by position breakdown. Got his uh, got his thoughts on the offensive defense. So, if you want more in depth NC State uh, info, go check that out. But Tim, why don't you uh, why don't you lead the charge on this one? Yeah, I mean NC State is a team for me that has a lot to prove this year. Um, Doran's kind of making a case right now as, a, as an NC State coach. I don't think he's getting enough love nationally for as good as he's been with NC State. Um, you know, he's been a strong recruiter. He's been an even stronger talent developer. Um, he really has NC State playing at an extremely consistent level. And there haven't been many NC State coaches that have uh, two nine-win seasons under their belt. Doran's already there. This becomes a year where Doran can really stake a claim for a level of consistency and really take the program where it needs to go if he could hit nine wins. I think that's the goal for NC State. That's like your the upper end of your trajectory, and that's really where you want to hint to just say, you know what, we're not going anywhere. A statement to recruiting classes in the future saying, hey, we really are going to be here for the long haul. And it wouldn't surprise me to see NC State get there. Um, I think you agree with me on this. I think NC, and this isn't you know a huge bold claim here, but I think NC State's season lies on the shoulder of its quarterback, whether that ends up being Matt McKay, Bailey Hockman, or Devin Leary. Um, what they can get from that quarterback position is really going to tail the tell of the season. Yeah, I'm really high on NC State for for one reason, and it's Dave Dorn. Yeah. You know, if you if you look around the country, there's few programs that I think that are run to the level that Dave Doran is running the Wolfpack at the moment. You know, he goes out, he hires really good assistant coaches, oh, yeah. really good recruiters. You know, he's got a, a two co-offensive coordinators this year, and uh, George McDonald and Des Kitchens. You know, it's it's a new look on offense. It, they're going to have a new running back. They're going to have a new quarterback. Zonovan Bam Knight is getting a lot of hot hype. Mm-hmm. Um, excited Rightfully to see what so. he can do on the field. Um, you know, it sounds like Matt, Matt McKay is going to be the guy at quarterback. You know, yeah, that's going to be an important position to kind of see how that works out. But I think this defense is going to be pretty solid. And if you look at their schedule, Tim, oh, I yeah. think it sets up pretty well for them. I mean, it does. if you look at East Carolina, Western Carolina, Ball State, Louisville, UNC, Georgia Tech, and uh, West Virginia, I think West Virginia is a team that's not what we have come to expect from them that's seven wins right there yeah i mean in west virginia as you mentioned extremely beatable this year extremely beatable and then even their road games at bc at wake you know at wake is a toss-up for me at this point always at bc you know i know they've had issues up there historically but i just think they're they're set up much better uh than boston college is this year at florida state it's never easy you know and uh 
again, Florida State's just one of those tough teams to judge. But, you know, Clemson, I, I don't think they're going to win. Syracuse, I, you know, I like yeah. that they're hosting them. Sure, you know, that's, that helps. That's one of the benefits, but I'm not like – I'm not ready to pick NC State in that game yet, but you know I think eight and four is a uh, a real really doable for this team. Sure, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them at nine and three. I would be surprised to see them better than nine and three before yeah. that bowl game. Yeah, it's one of those where it's kind of a hard ceiling at, at nine and three. There, you, you can't really see this Wolfpack team getting to that double digit win plateau. Which is not surprising in a nine-win season, as I mentioned, for be very successful. I think one of the things that's kind of underrated with NC State this season is going to be seeing what Tony Gibson adds to that defense. Um, you know, when you talked about and we talked to James, some of the looks they're getting on the defensive side of the ball are shading towards that three-three-five stack that Tony Gibson likes to run and was really successful in slowing down spread offenses in the Big Twelve. Um, and people really haven't been giving a lot of credit to kind of what that could do for NC State for two reasons. One, the 3-3-5 is not a defense that ACC teams are accustomed to seeing, and it could certainly cause some problems in a pass-happy league. Um, but two, and the main thing is, Tony Gibson's specialty is, is the defensive backfield, specifically the safeties. And if you had one criticism of Doran um, in his regime over the years, is that their safeties tend to be out of position uh, in a way that's really been detrimental to them as far as giving up big plays. And it'll be interesting to see what can happen if Tony Gibson is able to come in there and shore up that defensive secondary. Uh, depth, to me, is NC State's one of the deeper teams in the league. Um, not the talent level of Clemson, but a similar level of depth almost at every position. Um, I think that's going to lend itself well. Injury-wise, they should be okay. Uh, you know, They have four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster that all could really probably give you a solid uh, a solid season and, and all could probably start for the Wolfpack. Um, but it'll be it'll be a good it should be a good season for Doran and then, like I said, the key here is gonna be consistency from him. As long as he can avoid a disastrous uh losing season or a six and six type season, I think he's going to be setting up really pretty uh for next year in the Wolfpack. But this year I see I see a nine win season. I think a nine and three uh final record for them is, is within reason and I, I, I think Doran will hit that. All right, so 9-3 for you, 8-4 and four for me. Just a little shout-out to Mr. Ryan Finley. The guy's doing pretty well in preseason, yeah. so I wouldn't be uh, be shocked to see him maybe starting sooner rather than later for the Bengals if uh, Andy Dalton doesn't doesn't step up this year. But <laughs> let's jump back over to, uh, to Florida State here, Tim. Yeah. So Florida State, really interesting team. Uh, I, I think they, they have tons of talent. You know, I really do. They just don't have a lot of talent in key areas on the field. That's right. been their kind of biggest issue. You know, Kendall Bryles has been quoted as saying these are the best skill position players he's ever he's ever had. Yeah, and, and they may be. They may, may be. You know, a guy coming from Baylor, Houston, mm-hmm. um, Florida Atlantic. You know, yeah, probably was. And when he was at those schools, you know, he was first in the nation in offense. He was 35th in the nation. He was eighth. He was fifth. I mean, he put up some pretty big big uh offensive units out there as far as a production standpoint you know he's coached four 1000 yard rushers and three 1000 yard wide receivers in his career okay he's extremely high on these positional play or on these skill position players and it's a, a group that was uh pretty similar to last year but the offense as a whole is just it's been awful so what they've done in the offseason is they've kind of thrown away the playbook they're running on 
a much faster pace. You know, you've got guys vomiting in practice because they they're not conditioned <laughs> enough at this point to yeah. kind of keep up with the uh, with the demands of the tempo of this offense. So it's a very fast paced offense, high tempo. If it's rolling on all cylinders, it's going to be a very tough offense for defenses to stop and or maintain capacity on that side of the ball because it's going to be hard to shift players in and out. Those guys probably aren't going to be as conditioned to play an offense like this week in and week out. That being said, that means the offensive line is doing their job. And that's the biggest question mark for Florida State heading into the season is what are they going to get from that offensive line? Because there's no team in the ACC where one positional unit can hold them back more then that offensive line at Florida State is going to potentially hold this team back. Right. And I mean, last year, it, it, like I said, it literally couldn't get worse. I don't, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Florida State lined up two traffic cones at left and right tackle. It was, an, it was incredible. I've never seen anything like it. Um, you know, I thought I was the, the slowest person laterally uh, in, in this southeastern part of the United States, but I was wrong. The two slowest played for Florida State. Now, the issue for Florida State is I don't know if you can go from the level they were at last year uh, to just dire underperformance to a level that is required to be an elite offense, which is I I do think Florida State has that potential at the skill position. There's no question. And with James Blackman, I think he's more than enough, you know, more than serviceable enough to get the ball to those positions and to get those the ball into space for those wide receivers. The issue for me, obviously, is that offensive line isn't going to go from one of the worst in the nation uh, to what it needs to be, which is, you know, a top 30 type offensive line. You're not going to get that. So I think that is the limiting factor when you're talking about FSU, is that offensive line isn't going to suddenly wake up overnight. Uh, they didn't have any depth. If you want to talk about one position that really didn't have any, that was the offensive line. And Jimbo really struck out uh, offensive line recruiting-wise, uh, toward the end of his tenure there at Florida State, and it's reared its ugly head. Um, so for me, that's going to put a damper on any expectations I have for Florida State, no matter how good uh, those offensive skill position players are. I will say, though, the thought of Kendall Bry- Bryles taking a top 25, at least speed-wise, offense down there in Tallahassee scares me a little bit. And I do think um, I think he could be the difference in, in obviously keeping Taggart down there and, and seeing him Uh, be a fairly successful head coach for Florida State. I'm kind of 50-50 on Taggart right now, um, but I do like the direction he's heading with that offense. Yeah, you know, Florida State has nine scholarship wide receivers, which is about normal. Sure. Uh, Bryles thinks that's light, and I think that just (laughs) kind of shows you kind of what he he does on offense because – you know, he, he wants guys on the field fresh that are going to be running up and down that field. So that's something to watch there. Florida State only has three scholarship running backs on the roster. So yeah. one of them is Cam Akers, who is a stud, yep. um, but hasn't had really anything to run behind. Uh, another guy to watch this season is Kalen LeBourne. Guy Absolutely. who, uh, you know, he's coming back from a injury um, against Virginia Tech last season where he missed the remainder of the year. Um, he, he's a he's a big time. He was a big time recruit. He uh, he can definitely be a, a nice little uh, second punch to to Aker. So that could be a nice little combo right there. On the defensive side of the ball, Tim, you know this this team loses Brian Burns, who you know went to your Carolina Panthers, oh, I yeah. believe, yeah. top fifteen pick. Uh, so that's a big loss. Uh, they're also transitioning from a four three to a three four, and uh, you know this is a team last year who. You know, has a lot of talent on defense, struggle with injuries, a lot of mental mistakes. Uh, but, you know, it's an extremely, uh, extremely deep group. 
Uh, good defensive line, strong linebacking core, and uh, you know I think I think this defense has a chance to kind of carry this this team. Um, and one of the defense's biggest issues last year was just <laughs> offense wasn't staying on the field. Right. Offense wasn't giving them uh, really any kind of uh, field position advantage throughout the entire season. So sure, I just think right there defensively, if this offense has a chance to be much better, we're going to see a giant improvement on the defensive side of the ball. So that's why it's very tough to gauge kind of where where I'm seeing Florida State land a little bit. You know, if you look at their schedule. You know, they've got a neutral site with uh, Boise State to open the season. Then they host UL Monroe. And then they're on the road in week three at UVA. So that's a game I definitely have circled because, you know, UVA's uh, conference schedule isn't really that difficult outside of Miami, Virginia Tech, which all of those teams are playing each other, which is going to be crucial in that coastal race. Yep. But this Florida State game, you know, only Virginia and Miami are playing Florida State this year. Virginia Tech doesn't have to play them. So it, it becomes a really big game for both Virginia and Miami as far as the coastal race is concerned. I don't think anybody thinks Florida State's going to have a shot at winning the Atlantic this year. Uh, but they can certainly play spoiler. And I, th- I think I think that's a game to watch. So that's one of the ones that, that I'm really interested in. Uh, otherwise, they've got road games with Clemson, Wake, Boston College, and Florida. Uh, they host UL Monroe, Louisville, NC State, Syracuse, Miami, and Alabama State. So I kind of have them right now at six to seven wins. Yeah. I, yeah. Maybe I'll say I'm more comfortable saying six, to be honest. But I maybe I'll say seven because I think this team is going to be a little bit better than maybe we're giving them credit for this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. I. There's a lot of talent on that Florida State team, and it's hard to bet against raw talent, and they've got a lot of that right now. Um, I think the switch to a 3-4 will be interesting. Uh, We'll see if it can turn out uh, like LSU and Dave Aranda and how it's worked out for him down there on the bayou. Um, For this Florida State team, the other flip side to that offense being really high tempo is going to be the defense is going to be on the field a lot. Uh, So depth at defense will be key. I think they do have some depth. I don't think it's ideal, Um, and the depth that they do have is fairly young. Um, which is not surprising. That's fairly typical. I think it's an eight-win Florida State team. I'm a little higher on them. I think we're underrating Florida State based on how badly they performed last year. Right. And I do think a lot of that poor performance was was mainly driven by that offensive line, and I'm sure you'll agree. I'm kind of hedging towards the fact that they're going to repair that offensive line enough for it to be serviceable this year um, to the point where I do think they can get to eight wins. Um, and like you said, I think that Virginia game early in the year is going to tell us a whole lot about those two football programs. Um, you know, going to Charlottesville is not going to scare the the Seminoles. And no. uh, there'll probably that, be more Florida State fans there, right? And it, yeah, I've actually been to a, a Florida State UVA game in uh, Charlottesville, and it was very much that way. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens with that. The other flip side of that coin is will tell us a lot about Virginia. I, I'm excited for that game. I think that's a great matchup, but I do think Florida State ends up getting to eight wins this year. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would not be super surprised. I would be super surprised if they had less than six wins. Absolutely. Um, so Absolutely. my, I'm more inclined to be less surprised if they perform well. Yeah. Than them performing poorly, just because yeah, they you. have they have too much talent on this team. I like James Blackman as a quarterback. I think he's very solid. I just think if you look at his production over the first two years, 
it's just been a disaster on yeah. offense, and it's yeah. not his fault. So it's not. Um, I think that's something to watch. I think he might catch a few people off guard this year. You know, people have said Cam Akers is a bust. No, he's not. The hell he's no, running, he's not a bust. He's running behind nothing, basically. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's really about that offensive line. It is. Uh, all right, Wake Forest. You know, this is a team where, you know, it seems to be everybody's darling this year, at least that, that we've been talking to. Sure. And this is a team that, you know, offensively I, I do like quite a bit. You know, whoever they go with on uh, at, uh, at quarterback, they've got Jamie Newman, Sam Hartman. But we're recording this, um, obviously, August 15th. You know, a lot of these teams outside of Miami hasn't made a lot of announcement yet. You know, Miami's playing a week before everybody else, so their summer schedule's been a little bit more advanced than others. Wake Forest is a team that was picked to finish sixth by the media in the Atlantic, which seems a little outrageous. It does. Now, the Atlantic does have better teams in it than the Coastal from a top-to-bottom standpoint. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Wake Forest is a team coming off of three straight bowl victories. Uh, and, you know, a few questions facing the team. Who's going to replace Greg Dorch on offense? You know, Dorch is a guy who left with two years of eligibility remaining to go pro, wasn't drafted, you know, trying to catch on with the Jets if he's still on the Jets. So that's a big loss, not just on offense, but on special teams. And it was. You know, there's a, there's a pair of freshmen that are getting a lot of play who – um, and uh, Donovan Green and Nolan Grolix, while Scotty Washington, Sage Surratt, you know, they're likely entrenched as the outside wide receivers. I like those guys. You know, Cade Carney coming back, returning for his senior season, rushed for 1,000 yards last year, the first back since 2005 to rush for 1,000 yards at Wake Forest. You know, he's a guy who not going to blow you away with his talent, but he's just kind of a banger up the middle. He's going to yeah, get those tough consistent. yards. And they also return three offensive linemen. They've got to replace their center and their left guard. So, offensively, I like this team. You know, I, I think they'll make some noise offensively. It's really, Tim, the defense that has me a little bit more on edge and a little bit iffy about, you know, what games they'll win and what games they won't win. Right. What about you? I'm kind of the same way. Um, Wake Forest is everyone's dar- darling. I think Clawson is such an easy guy to like. They've got a bunch of likable players. Uh, you know, Dave Clawson and the fun bunch are going to go out. I think they're going to have a good season. Um, you know, they've got some good players on defense. Carlos Basham's coming back at defensive end. Uh, Essang Bassi's coming back in the defensive backfield. They've got a couple of really good playmakers. Um, I'm not really sold on on the guys that I didn't name. I think there is there are a lot of question marks on that side of the ball. Obviously, uh, quarterback, you're going to have a solid choice no matter which way that falls between Hartman or Newman. I think that they got, you know, they, they've got an offense that they can tailor to either Newman. Obviously, if he wins a job, they're going to be running the read option a little more. Hartman may be a better passer than Newman, um, and we'll see how that ends up working out. I, I think that's obviously too close to call at this point. Um, but Clawson is just one of those guys kind of in the same uh, vein of uh, Dino Babers and, and a guy that I'm going to give a bump to their team just based on him being the coach. I think he's just so fantastically consistent. I think he's perfect for Wake Forest. I will say that talent-wise, I don't think this is going to be the greatest team, um, and, and Wake Forest rarely is, uh, but I'm seeing a, a 500 season from them. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting 6-6 six and six this year from Wake Forest. Yeah, if, if you look at their schedule, you know, they've got Utah State, Elon, North Carolina, Louisville, Florida State, NC State, and Duke at home. Right. 
they should at worst be five and two. Oh yeah, right there. No okay. doubt. Then they've got Boston College, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Syracuse, and Rice on the road. Mm-hmm. Rice is definitely the sixth win. Okay, so I'm inclined to think that they will beat at least one team in Florida State, NC State, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Clemson, or Syracuse one time. Just All they got to do is beat one of those teams sure. for seven wins. So to me, a season that they, they should be expecting seven wins this, this season. I think their high would be about eight because I just don't see them competing with some of the more talented teams. You know, maybe that Virginia Tech game was interesting. I just feel like that's a game where Bud Foster is being honored. <sighs> I'm going to go ahead and play the good feels on that one. I just don't see Virginia Tech losing that with you can't lose it. <laughs> honoring Bud Foster at home. You can't lose it. Um, I think Boston College is probably the the likely win there. But I like I like seven wins for Wake Forest. I think they can get to eight. I think six would be a little light. I'd be a little bit disappointed with six. But, you know, this is a team. They're not going to blow you away with their talent. They've got to be the better coach team. And I think uh, I think the job that Clawson's doing down there is, is impressive. And he's a guy who signed through 2026, I believe. So he should be there yeah. a long time doing it. And it's tough. You know, when you talk about Wake Forest, you say that they don't feel like a 6-6 six and six team, and they certainly don't. On the Atlantic side of the conference, I think that's that's where you end up with a team. If Wake's on the coastal, I think you're dealing with an 8-win uh, football club. So it's kind of hard to, to really judge them too harshly. The Atlantic is is good this year, top to bottom. That's not surprising. It's, it's typically always fairly good, um, especially when compared to the coastal. Uh, we'll see. I do think 6-6 six and six is about where they line up. Um, and I don't think that would be very disparaging on Clawson, uh, not this year. It may feel like a disappointment to some people, but um, you know I don't see six and six as a as a as a total loss for those those Wake Forest boys. No, you'll take six and six at Wake Forest consistently, absolutely every every, every year. Uh, let's jump to Boston College. So you know we had um, had the BC interruption blog from SB Nation on. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we'll talk to uh, AJ Black with BC Maven next week to uh, preview week one. I uh, don't want to spend a ton of time on Boston College, uh, just because we've talked about them quite a bit this offseason, but it's a team who started 7-2 and two last year, finished 7-5, and five, got to the bowl game against Boise State that was canceled, so once again locked in that, that seven-win hell that is Steve Adazio. Uh, they're replacing 13 all-ACC selections across the roster, They're going to have a very new-look defense with Bill Sheridan as the defensive coordinator. He was the linebacker coach last year. Um, So a very similar voice there. Got to replace Zach Allen, Will Harris, Lucas Dennis. You know, Brandon Sebastian is the only defensive back that's returning. Uh, They seem to have pretty good depth at linebacker. It's that defensive line where there's a lot of concern and those new names in the secondary. Offensively, Tim, you know, you've got Anthony Brown coming into his junior season. Um, Mike Bajikan is the new offensive coordinator, uh, replacing Scott Leffler. So that's got to be a, uh, a step up because Leffler's gone from an <laughs> offensive philosophy <laughs> standpoint. You couldn't resist it, man. <laughs> I couldn't resist it. Uh, AJ Dillon is back and he seems to be healthy. He's going to be the workhorse back. You know, our, our BC brethren have come on the show and they've been higher on the receivers. I'm not sold. Uh, I just don't think they're that good. Um, this is a team where, you know, they opened the season with Virginia Tech, then they got matchups against Richmond, Kansas, Wake Forest, NC State, FSU at home. 
They play Rutgers and Louisville on the road, along with Clemson, Syracuse, Notre Dame, and Pitt. You know, looking at this schedule, Tim, I see wins against Richmond, Kansas, for sure. Probably Pitt, Rutgers, and Louisville. I'm not sure I see him winning another game. No, and I've that's, got, that's exactly what I have. I've got five wins for Boston College this year. Same exact thing. i got five wins and uh, a head coach leaving and packing his bags. Yeah, um, I just I just don't think their offense has enough to overcome the defense this season. No. And, uh, you know, most of Boston College's toughest games are in the back end of their schedule. Right. And that's when they struggled last season. Yeah, and, and it, it's exactly that. And, and another thing that I, I just want to point out is there's this common misconception that Boston College had a good defensive year last year, and they really didn't. Um, they didn't have a really good defensive year, and the issue this year is it's going to get worse. Um, I just think replacing Hamp Cheevers, Tajamir Torres, Will Harris, and Lucas Dennis in that, that defensive backfield is going to be such a death knell for this team. Um, and I don't mean to harp on it too much, but that's if you don't have consistency in your defensive backfield, that's something very, very hard to replace, uh, as Virginia Tech can tell you after last season. Um, you know, I, I think this is a situation where we're dealing with a five and seven football team. They don't. You look at their talent; they don't seem like they have a lot. There's a lot of question marks. The one saving grace that they could have to keep Steve Adazio's job is if Anthony Brown is able to do enough to get players out of the box into free up running room. If he's able to do that, Boston College could have a seven, another seven win uh, football season. But the more that I look at this team and the more that I look at their numbers from last year, I really am feeling a 5-7 and seven year from Boston College. Yeah, and, you know, I think seven wins this year would be really good for Boston College. Yeah, it'd be great. But I, I don't think it would be good enough to keep Adazio. So, you know, seven wins, okay, you're getting to a bowl, you got a bowl game, you know, depending on what happens, may or may not be fired before that. You know, and I, I like Steve Adazio, the guy. I'm just not sure how great of a uh, head football coach he is. So um, we'll see what happens. You know, we're just not super high on Boston College this year. Another team we're not super high on, Tim, and really nobody is, uh, is our Scott Satterfield-led Louisville Cardinals. Um, Not really going to spend a whole lot of time here. No. Uh, They're just, they're in a complete rebuild. They went 2-10 last year. They pretty much rank near the bottom of almost every single statistical category. (laughs) (laughs) Just... You know, this is a team that had Lamar Lamar Jackson and won the Heisman Trophy, like, not very long ago. Right. And all of a sudden, you're ranking near the bottom in every single category. Offensive line was atrocious. You know, a ton of guys transferred out of the program, an entirely new coaching staff. They're not going to win a ton of games this year. I do expect them, though, to at least fight, fight in these games. Yeah. I think they're going to be well-coached. If you look at what Satterfield did at App State, he built a really strong program, a team that, you know, took a team like Penn State to the brink and almost beat them last year. Should have probably beat them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, came back in. Uh, they should have. Minus a little Trace McSorley magic, you know. Yeah. Um, they, they left there with the loss. But, you know, it sounds like Jawan uh, Puma Pass, great name, all ACC names team candidate. Uh, he has the edge um, to beat quarterback. So, that being said, like this is a team that plays Notre Dame, Clemson, UVA, Syracuse, Wake Forest, Miami, Florida State, NC State, Kentucky. It's not a tremendously easy schedule. No. And the two, the only two games I see them potentially having a shot in 
or against Eastern Kentucky and Western Kentucky. And, you know, I'd, I'd say they beat Eastern Kentucky. Western Kentucky has typically been good. I'm not, I don't know a ton about them this year, but I'm going to go ahead and say Louisville goes 2-10 and 10, um, to 1-11. and 11. Right. I, so. I, I think you're not too far off. I'm going to go with three wins on Louisville, only because of a Satterfield bump there. I'm really high on Satterfield. It's just obviously way too early to see any sort of real positive return there. Um, and, and well, like, so who's, who's the third win? Um, because that coach is going to have some answering. I, I don't do. know where the third win comes from. It's just one of those things where it's probably going to be a fluky win. Um, all I, right, UVA got it. Yeah, done. It's UVA, and and we're going to see that uh, <laughs> when UVA goes winless in conference, they're going to look back at that game and say that was the one they should have had. Yeah. All right, so let's jump over to the coastal. That was your. ACC Atlantic. I think we have uh, coined Clemson as the as the winner there. That's Big the shock. Yeah. Uh, so some of the storylines in the Coastal Division, Tim. We've got Virginia isn't nearly as good as people think. This is my own personal storyline. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love your storylines, Justin. That's fantastic. Uh, I think I think they're forgetting about Virginia on the offensive side of the football and kind of what they've lost. And uh, their defense should be good. So that's something to watch there. Miami's defense is good borderline elite we don't know yet uh but the offense has a lot of question marks and as of right now is going to be led by a true freshman in jaron williams who we all seem to forgot about right to be honest uh we have no idea what to expect really from virginia tech defensively uh they're returning 10 guys and at best you know fans are approaching the season as you know cautiously optimistic with expectations that we will improve virginia tech will improve that is uh, but we are expecting a pretty good offense from the Hokies. Yeah. Everyone else is either rebuilding or going through a few growing pains. And that is pretty much your ACC Coastal and has been for the last uh, six years, now entering year seven of a little bit of disarray. So um, this is a division that has had six winners in six seasons. Uh, some people think they're going to make it seven with uh, UVA this year. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at uh, – Let's go ahead and take a look at Virginia, which is everybody's preseason pick, except for ours probably. The so, media darling. The media darling. That's the word I was looking for. So, Virginia, the media picked them to win uh, the Coastal. You know, they're looking to become um, – or they're looking to win their first Coastal division since the ACC went to divisional play. Mendenhall has, uh, has these guys looking pretty good. His fourth season there, you know, he's returning eight starters on defense – uh, and they ranked third in total defense in 2018 in the uh, ACC, allowing just over 20 points per game. Uh, they allowed 183 yards through the air last year, 147 on the ground. You know, they are replacing Juan Thornhill and Chris Peace, but they do get, you know, probably the best defensive back in the country coming back in cornerback Bryce Hall. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, you know, he's a guy who is going to be the leader of this defense. Everybody was pretty surprised he came back. He probably would have been a top 10, 15 pick in the NFL draft. Um, so the defense to me is, is really the strong suit of Virginia, and uh, how that can hold up throughout the season will be, will be key for them going forward. Right. If we jump over to the offense side of the ball, Tim, obviously they've got Bryce Perkins, who is the senior quarterback transfer from a JUCO. Before that, he was at Arizona State. Uh, broke his neck there and uh, 
you know, left the program, went to JUCO to basically rehabilitate. Um, you know, the, the, the big thing here is no Jordan Ellis, no Olamid Zacchaeus on the offensive side of the ball. So that's your starting running back and your, starting, and your star wide receiver. That's huge production gone. Right. And, you know, they've got a guy in uh, Hassais Du Bois who he's returning, had 52 catches last season. But he's the only receiver that had more than 25 catches outside of Zacchaeus last year on this offense. You know, Joe Reed's a guy who's done pretty well on special teams. Some people think he could be, you know, a deep threat in this offense, but he hasn't proven that yet. They've got two grad transfers coming in, and uh, Wayne Chapman and uh, Dion Brissett. And the thing with uh, Chapman is him and Perkins were actually former teammates at Arizona State. So that's a nice little connection that's kind of coming back to it. So maybe yeah. those guys got some chemistry. I don't know. If we look at the running back position, little bit of a different story, you know. Minton Hall has proven time and time again that he likes a workhorse in the backfield. He does not like a committee approach, which is something we kind of want to see in Blacksburg, to be honest. But, you know, considering how valuable Perkins is to this offense, I don't think they want to see him rush for close to 1,000 yards this year. You know, he's a guy, he's got to stay healthy. They probably, they don't want to change the way that he plays football, but they do want to limit the amount of hits. Right. That that he that he takes and to me the amount of hits are going to go up the amount that they're going to need him to do is going to go way up this year and I think it's just going to lead to some problems offensively and you know maybe not on a week by week basis but maybe in a game where you know they're just struggling to move the ball offensively and you know they got to make a play and I, I I think that there might be a little bit too much on the shoulders of Bryce Perkins this season to really have Virginia kind of go where everybody thinks they're going to go, which is to the ACC championship game against Clemson. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, the issue with with UVA is definitely on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, I think they're they're right where they need to be in order to win their division. Um, I think the defense is good enough to do that. I don't think the offensive side of the ball is good enough to do that. I think a lot of that lies on Bryce Perkins' shoulders. I think, one, you're going to have the fact that UVA is going to sneak up on no one this year. I think they did benefit from a soft schedule last year. They'll benefit from one this year, um, but they won't be the surprise that they were last year. Um, the issue, they, they woke a fine line with Bryce Perkins, right? Because you always get these, these long off-seasons where a running quarterback has to be quote-unquote reined in and become more of a pocket passer because they need to keep him safe from injury. Um, but what they're doing with Bryce Perkins and what they could potentially do would be to neuter what makes him special, and that's his ability to improvise on the run and really get those six-yard runs on third and five that move the chains and are so crucial to a team like Virginia who isn't as explosive as they could or should be on offense. Um, and I think people are really underselling the lack of explosiveness on that side of the ball for UVA. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that they're going to be competing for the uh the division crown I, I think that's a foregone conclusion in most people's minds i think they'll be there um but i don't think they'll win it and uh it's one of those things where if anything happens to bryce bryce person bryce perkins the entire season is built on a house of cards at that point yeah i think you know before we get into records for each of these teams Let's talk about each one, and then we'll come back to it because there's yeah, something sure. I want to point out about conference conference schedules because really out of conference with these three teams does not matter for all intensive purposes this season. We're not expecting any of them to be in contention for the college football playoff. 
you know, none of them have a particularly, you know, damning out-of-conference schedule. Miami's probably got the toughest. Sure. Um, and we'll talk about those a little bit. But, you know, first, let's, let's look at Miami, Tim. So everybody just seemed to forgot or forget about, you know, the highest-rated quarterback in school history since Kyle Wright. And that's Jaron Williams, who came in last year as a true freshman, didn't play a whole lot, got a few snaps, and under the new NCAA rule, he was allowed to redshirt that season. But, you know, he was actually suspended uh, for a game last season because of, you know, his displeasure with not being put in with the struggling uh, Malik Rogier and Nikosi Perry in front of him. And, uh, you know, he had at one point considered transferring. It was rumored he was out, he was gone, and then all of a sudden he was uh, he was brought back in, and, and here we are. So Jaron Williams, you know, through it all, beats out Nikosi Perry, beats out Tate Martell, who if you look at it rating-wise, Jaron Williams actually had a higher rating come out of high school than Tate Martell. It was pretty close, but Williams was the higher-rated quarterback. Right. So it doesn't sound like he just won the job because he was so much more dominant than everybody else. It just sounds like he was doing the little things a little bit better than the other two, specifically Martell. And and from what we heard about Tate Martell is he was really struggling to pick up this Danny Enos offense, specifically coming out um, from from under center. Yeah, and, and now he becomes America's uh, favorite soon-to-be slot receiver. Yeah, so that's something to watch there. You know, if you didn't, uh, if you don't know what that reference is, so it was rumored that Martell skipped practice on Monday after the announcement. You know, I did a little bit of digging. It looks like he had a shoulder injury and was excused, or at least that's a story that was put out there. Yeah. Um, I think there was some fake news going around with his name tag on the floor that looked very photoshopped to me. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it went kind of viral a little bit, where somebody on the team said that he threw a fit in the locker room. I really don't think that happened. Uh, he was back at practice the next day. Then it was rumored, oh, you know, we might stick uh, Tate Martell in the slot because he's an undersized quarterback. Well, guess what? Undersized quarterbacks are the trend right now. They so, are. you know, I don't think we're going to see Tate Martell give up on being the quarterback at this point. He was rated far too highly coming out of high school. And I don't think it's necessarily a, a knock on Martell either. I mean, he was at Ohio State playing behind JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins just went 15th overall to the Redskins or whatever he went, okay? Top first-round pick. Then he comes to Miami. He loses to a, a quarterback, loses the job to a quarterback that was ranked higher than him right. coming out of high school. So it's not like he's losing the job to, like, a walk-on, okay? Right. But that being said, Martell is such a polarizing figure because of the attention he brings on himself. So I understand why we're in this kind of situation, but... Quarterback situation, it's you know, it's Jaron Williams' job for now. But if he starts to struggle and, you know, Nikosi and, and Tathan are hanging around this season, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see either one of them uh, get thrown into the fire if uh if Jaron's not getting the job done. So um the coaches really like him. You know, they say his passing ability and instincts are are better than the other two. Um but uh but that's definitely a big storyline going into this season. So you know, offensively, Miami, they've got guys like Jeff Thomas at receiver, DJ Dallas, Cameron Davis mm-hmm. at running back. You know, those those guys are, are really going to be what makes this offense churn. And I see I see whoever's at quarterback, Jaron Williams at this point, being more of a game manager until they get a little bit more comfortable in the offense. All they really have to do is manage the game for this defense. 
So the defense, once again, the greatest asset for Miami, a defense that loves depth because they rotate guys in basically every six plays. You know, they want guys to go as hard as they possibly can for six plays, and that's what they've kind of formulated in their head is the the hardest you can go is for six plays before you need to come off the field, take a breather, and get back on and go hard for six plays again. So it's an interesting philosophy. And, you know, just some of the guys that they're returning, like Miami led the nation in sack rate last season. You know, they got Jonathan Garvin returning, who had 17 tackles for a loss, five and a half sacks. They've got, you know, Trey John Bandy and, and Romy Finley coming back in the secondary. Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinkney are both returning. They had 25 tackles for loss and nine and a half sacks combined. You know, depth might be a little bit of an issue in key areas. Um, you know, defensive line, you know, they had a lot of uh, grad transfers come in uh, just across the entire team, not just on defense. You know, Trayvon Hill is one guy I want to point out from Virginia Tech. You know, he's found himself running with the second team because he's out of shape, probably causing a lot of locker room issues just based off of past experience. Uh, but, you know, that's something to watch. So depth of this uh, defense, let's see what happens. But I think this defense is probably going to be, you know, second best in the ACC behind Clemson this year. Yeah, and, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. I do think they're going to be an elite defense, or at least borderline elite. I think they have the best linebackers in the nation as far as a, a group goes. Um, and Miami's going to be a good team. They're, there's no doubt. They're they're set up for success. I think Jaron Williams, and as you mentioned, the coaches do like his arm more than the others. And if you're looking for a quarterback, uh, that's really good criteria to grade on. Um, whether or not that sticks for the long term, we'll see. And obviously there are going to be questions there that need to be answered throughout the year. Um, there are scenarios that play in your head where you could see uh, Tate Martell or Nikosi Perry being the starting quarterback of Miami uh, before the end of the year. Um, I do, obviously, I think they hang around as a coastal competitor, and we won't get into to, you know final results or, or schedules with, with these teams, as you mentioned. Um, but Miami is, is certainly strong, and, and all of the playmakers that you mentioned, I think they're going to be a good team this year. Um, and, and, and the bulk of their season and, and really their final standings lies on the shoulder pads of the quarterback. It's just like it has for the past two years. I mean, if you think in your head, what would the last two uh, Miami Hurricanes football teams looked with competent quarterback play? It's a scary thought. Yeah, no, it really is. And I mean, this is a team in 20, uh, 2017 that, you know, that had national championship aspirations uh, heading into the middle of November. Absolutely. So, you know, and they were there because of that defense. They had that swagger. They got the uh, turnover chain, you know, and, and that's one thing Manny Diaz brings is is swagger, like it or not. Um, he's definitely got that uh, South Beach vibe to him. So uh, they're going to be they're going to be a tough out this year, I think. Um, but let's jump over to Virginia Tech. So really the third player in the Coastal this year, which is a uh, top heavy little division. But Virginia Tech, uh, you know, better offseason than last year. And, uh, you know, a story dropped with Sports Illustrated um, on Thursday, kind of highlighting some of the, you know, happenings around the Virginia Tech program last season. You know, apparently there were guys in the locker room saying, you know, they hoped they were going to lose against Marshall so they didn't have to play in a bowl game. You know, threatening guys that if you score a touchdown, you know, I'm going to knock you out. You know, it sounded like there was a lot of polarization between the offense and the defense. And apparently that was derived from a few a few unknown, unnamed players, I should say. And there was also issues, I guess, that 
players had with the coaching staff as far as like practice times and just certain smaller things around the program that seem to be addressed. And it seems like those issues are behind them. It seems like the team is more unified this year. And I think that's key. It does make me wonder, maybe this is why Bud Foster's leaving. I don't know. But the Bud Foster retirement news was uh, was pretty surprising at the time. Don't want to dwell on that too much, other than I do think it will be kind of a rallying cry for this team this season. Um, you know, from a personnel standpoint, the Hokies have 10 guys returning on the defense last year that was the worst performing defense in, you know, the bowl expectation era of Virginia Tech. Absolutely. You know, it probably wasn't the worst defense they've ever fielded, but <laughs> sure. You know, since Bud Foster had taken over, it was probably the worst defense to, that he he ever coached. And that was obviously for various reasons, you know, guys being injured, kicked off the team, guys playing when they weren't supposed to, just as far as development standpoint, we get it. All the excuses under the sun. This year's a new year. So, that being said, We'd expect an uptick in Hokie's performance on the defensive side of the ball this year. I think everybody's kind of expecting to see that. You know, and it sounds like, you know, the safeties, once again, is a position of depth. You've got Divine Diablo and Reggie Floyd back there. You know, they, um, they've got guys like uh, Jermaine Waller uh, stepping up and getting rave reviews. Uh, Khalil Ladler and Shamari Connor battling for that whip linebacker position. I think they're going to be pretty strong there. Uh, they've moved uh, former linebacker Jalen Griffin to defensive end because he just can't keep his weight down, basically, and they think he's a little bit more fluid in that position. Right. Um, and then if you look at cornerback, you know we've got a bunch of guys who are just competing for job one and job two right now. You've got Caleb Farley and uh, Mari Chapman and Nadir Thompson and Jeremy Webb and you know Javon K- uh, Quillen. Yeah. Um, you know that that position's up for. That position's up for grabs and don't think it's secure either because that was really the Achilles heel of uh, of this defense last season. Yeah. At, at linebacker, they're pretty strong. You got Rashard Ashby, um, who is probably the best tackler in the ACC. You got Dylan Rivers and Dax Hollyfield who are who are competing for that playing time spot. Mm-hmm. Outside of those three guys, I think, you know, maybe depth comes into question like who's going to be the next guy up if you need to yeah but that's a position historically tim that bud foster just hasn't rotated a lot yeah and if we need somebody to step up i think there's certainly options on the roster i think alan tisdale comes to mind as a guy that's been getting uh, some buzz this preseason yeah so you know that's something to watch and then just defensive line a lot of question marks on defensive line um you know how's jared hewitt gonna fill that ricky walker position will he be able to you know, fill the void from a production standpoint. You know, you got Emmanuel Belmar on the defensive end. You got a couple other guys vying there. Who, who's going to really step up and and lock that position down and be able to uh, stop the run and and make the rest of the defense work? But um, I don't know, Tim. Defensively, what do you, what do you think um, expectations should be for the Hokies? I think expectations should be a top thirty-five defense. I know that may seem a little high. Um, I think the talent is on that side of the ball to do it. The question would be whether or not the depth is there. Um, the interior of the defensive line specifically are a couple injuries away from having to start uh, a walk-on at that position. Um, and I say that only slightly facetiously. I think that you know when you have a coordinator like Bud Foster, you should have the confidence and the hope that he would be able to get that room right. Um, and I think the pieces are there. I think linebacker is extremely strong with Ashby and, and Dax Hollifield. 
I think that the secondary looks really strong. Divine Diablo could be one of the best safeties in the ACC this year. Um, and, you know, on the defensive line, I think they'll get enough guys in there to really make some plays and, and make it hard for opposing quarterbacks. Um, but really, I'm going to lean into the scheme here, and I think the Bud Foster is going to get it figured out. It's as simple as that. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the defense for the Hokies. Offensively, Tim, you know, you've got an offensive line uh, that it's, it seems like it's always up for grabs um, in Blacksburg as far as positions and where guys are going to play. You know, you're, it's never safe um, as far as, you know, you're playing tackle, guard, center, you're playing it all. So, you know, one guy who's really stood out, which is a little bit of a change of pace for this offensive line, is a, a freshman, a redshirt freshman in Luke Tenuta. He's getting a lot of hype, turning a lot of heads, and uh, he's actually pushing for starting time at tackle. So not really sure what that means yet for Christian Derisaw and Silas Zanzi, but, you know, it's something to watch there on the offensive line. You know, there's been pictures surfacing of um, Doug Nestor, who looks like an absolute oh man-child. Yeah. Uh, basically looks like Joe Thomas did when he was a freshman um, <laughs> at Wisconsin. So... Um, who knows what that'll happen there. We've also got the Brock Hoffman, you know, transfer waiver still up in the air, um, at least as of this week. So Justin Fuente addressed the media on Thursday and still no update. We're 16 days away and the NCAA can't get around to making a decision. So they continue to make a mockery of themselves, especially with this, uh, with this case in particular. So still some questions there on the offensive line. I think it's a unit, though, that the Hokies will be pretty strong. Uh, you know, wide receiver, probably one of the strongest groups of wide receivers in the ACC no and doubt. maybe even the country. So you've got Damon Hazleton and, and Trey Turner as your big one-two options, and Hazeki Grimsley probably going to be slotting into the slot there. And then, you know, there's guys like Travion Robinson who are really kind of stepping up and uh, turning heads. We saw uh, redshirt freshman Dewan Ellis kind of cut ties with the programs uh, pretty pretty roughly it, it wasn't the cleanest of cuts um but uh yeah i think receivers tim it's going to be a, a good year in blacksburg for these guys yeah no it absolutely will i'm i'm really high on that offense really high on those wide receivers i think hezekiah grimsley a guy that gets looked over a little bit in the slot i think he's fantastic um you know trey turner obviously just big plays written all over him and hazelton is uh about the best primary wide receiver you could hope for in the acc right now um, you know, offensively, the love, I think, needs to be shown for Ryan Willis. I think people tend to overlook him because of how bad he was at Kansas. But, come on, it was Kansas. Um, I think just about anybody would have looked bad. You could have lined up a prime Peyton Manning back there and he would have struggled. Uh, Ryan came in and really, really made a big difference at quarterback last year. And I thought was a guy that was performing at a fairly high level uh, by the end of the season. Um, and it, not surprising at all to see, you know, in, in, for all intents and purposes, I expect him to come out and have a really good year uh, this year with all the options at his disposal. I think at tight end too, we ought to we ought to give a little shout out. Um, Dalton Keene, I think, made a made a splash last year, and James Mitchell is. Uh, if, if all the scouting reports are true on him, we're in for a real treat with uh, the production, the tight end spot this year between those two. Um, the more I think about it, and, and you know, the more thought I give it, the higher and higher I get on the Hokies after being very lukewarm uh, with Virginia Tech when we first started uh, the offseason early on in the spring. A lot has changed since then. Uh, there's been more stability. And uh, you know how fitting is it that Turkey Bacon could be the savior of the Hokies football program? Yeah, well, I think, I think offensively, Tim, like, it seems like 
most of these guys are all bought into Fuente's program. They're all Fuente recruits, right? Right. So we've got Ryan Willis. You know, we're expecting him to be the starter. Obviously, it hasn't been named yet officially, right. but it would be a shock if he wasn't the starter. You know, I, I'm expecting to see some pretty creative packages with Quincy Patterson this season. And I think when you've got, you know, an H back in Dalton Keene and, you know, a, a tight end who's up and coming and James Mitchell has been getting a lot of hype and, you know, some really athletic receivers, I think you can do some things that are uh, a little bit more creative than the jet sweep. So that's one thing <laughs> I'm looking forward to. That'll be a plus. You know, we haven't talked about the running backs. Kashawn King has been one of the most heard names in the entire fall camp so far. Sure. And he's a he's a freshman, you know, a little bit on the smaller side, you know, very fast. You know, I think he's going to be a nice little change of, pack, change of pace back this season. I don't know how many carries he's going to end up getting or – you know, if he becomes, you know, a workhorse of this offense. But, you know, with him, Deshaun McLeese and Jalen Holston, um, Terrius Wheatley, like, there's some backs to be pretty excited about. So, agreed. Overall, I think this offense is going to be really good. And hopefully, you can pair that with a solid defense. I'm not expecting a top 25 defense, but I'm also not expecting a a 75 or worse defense. (laughs) I'm expecting a defense that's probably ranked in the top 50 in the country that if they do one thing this season, I just want them to play consistent. Yeah. That's really all I want is just to see the Virginia Tech defense play consistent. Mm -hmm. And if they do that, Tim, I think they're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I I try to take the Homer aspect out of it and, and, and turn my diploma and face it towards the wall and pretend I'm not... Uh, a graduate of the best university in the world. Um, but to tell you the truth, it, it's hard to do this year. And the more I think about it, the more I break it down, the more I consider everything. I think there's a lot of good balance that Virginia Tech has that they can really take advantage of. There's no very weak spots on this team. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't think there are any. There are no massive holes. I don't think there are big questions. Um, more importantly, I think they're bringing back a quarterback that's proven that he's an ACC caliber quarterback, and that's a lot more than a lot of teams can say in the ACC this year. Um, you know, they have an elite position group in the wide receivers, uh, and I do think the defense, like I mentioned, I, I expect, I think a top 35, like a 25 through 35 ranking on the defense would probably be, uh, you know, maybe a long shot, but I do think that that's what they're going to shoot for, and I think with Bud Foster, that's always within the realm of possibility. I am, I'm high on the Hokies, surprise, surprise. So let's pick a, let's pick a winner of the Coastal right here because I don't think we're going to be picking anybody any of the other teams we're talking no. about. And if you look at Miami, Virginia, and Virginia Tech's conference games, so they're all playing each other, and they're playing you know UNC, Pitt, Duke, and Georgia Tech. So. Those that those games against Georgia Tech, UNC, Duke, and Pitt, like I'm kind of expecting all three of those teams to win every single one of those games. Right. Which, considering the amount of parity we've seen in the ACC this like in the past few years, maybe taking the 2016 season out of it, you know, they're gonna lose to one of those teams. We just don't know which team it is mm-hmm. and how many of the games that they lose, just because the teams haven't been consistent. Right, but. These three teams are trending up, where the other teams are either rebuilding and or just not going to be very good this season. That's correct. So I think all four of the teams 
or all three of the teams win those four games. The two wild cards, Tim, are Florida State and Louisville right. for Virginia and Miami, which Louisville is going to be a win for each team. What wrench can Florida State throw into the equation? Yeah. And then for Virginia Tech, they play Boston College in Wake Forest outside of the Coastal. So if they can take care of business there, I don't expect both Miami and Virginia to lose to Florida State. Florida State has given Virginia fits over the years. Virginia's done the same for them. It's been an interesting little rivalry. I think Florida State's going to end up beating Virginia on the road in Week 3. It's just... It's it's a statement game for Willie Taggart. Mm-hmm. It's a game that nobody's really kind of expecting much from them. Right. They can go up there. They knock off Virginia week three. Like that's going to be oh, yeah. a headline because of the the hype that Virginia has gotten right. this season. And and that's that's the issue too is that UVA is going to go into those game or go into that game as favorites, and that will fuel the fire for Florida State. I truly expect Florida State to come out as the victor uh, when they go to Scott Stadium. So the real question, Tim, is who is going to win the games between the three of them? So you got the Miami, Virginia, and the Virginia Tech games. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I think uh, Virginia Tech will split Virginia and Miami. Um, I think they will beat Virginia and lose to Miami. I think, uh, obviously, uh, Miami, I do believe, is going to handle business with Virginia. I think they'll also handle business with Virginia Tech. Um, And I do think Virginia is going to lose to both Miami and Virginia Tech. So that's the way I see it shaking out. I don't know how you see it. Um, But I will say that does not determine my winner of the Coastal. I just want to throw that out there. So what what do you see... How do you see Miami finishing up in the with the conference record then? I see them having two losses in conference. Okay, so who are those two? I think we're going to see a slip up with Miami. Again, I, I don't know exactly where it comes from, um, but we're going to see a loss uh, that Miami takes to Florida State. I do think that that's going to happen. Um, okay. As far as your second loss, I mean, that could be from really anywhere. Uh, so, you know, you've got some teams that aren't quite as good that I think could give Miami problems, a team like Pitt. Uh, could come around and surprise somebody. The reason I think Miami is going to struggle um, is going to be because of that quarterback position. I don't think that they're going to get the quarterback play that they need. They're going to have to win a lot of games with defense. And if you get into those defensive slugfests where you're not able to score more than 20 points, you are always at risk of dropping a game. Whereas you look at the Virginia Tech offense, I don't think anyone's going to hold Virginia Tech to lower than 20 points this year. Um, I'm not concerned with the offensive output. With Miami, um, the one reason I think they will beat Virginia Tech uh, is strictly due to the fact that I think that defense is going to be able to do enough to slow Virginia Tech down to make that an absolute pain in the butt game for the Hokies. Um, I think they're the only defense capable of slowing uh, Virginia Tech down that's not named Clemson. Uh, and the only way that Virginia Tech sees Clemson is going to be in the ACC title game. So I do think this is going to be a situation where we run into Miami having two ACC losses. I see three to two ACC losses for UVA, and I see one ACC loss for Virginia Tech. So I see one ACC loss for Virginia Tech and Miami. So the one ACC loss of Virginia Tech is a team to be named later because I think they're going to beat Miami 
and I think they're going to beat Virginia. Right. And the reason I think they're going to beat Miami is I just think offensively they're too strong. And I think defensively they're just going to be much improved. They don't play this game until October, right? Yeah, that's, a, so that's a huge benefit. There's there's a little bit of time to kind of get on your feet. Miami's not a difficult place to go in and play. It's a quiet crowd. They're just on the beach. They're not they're not you know hanging out in the stadium. Who knows where Miami will be at that point? We think they're going to be pretty good. I think it's going to be um, probably not the most exciting game to watch, but I do expect Virginia Tech's defense to be improved enough to where I'm not that worried about the Miami offense yeah. against them. Yeah. UVA wise, I think I just I just don't see UVA being that huge of a threat this season. Now I think they probably get to like nine wins. Oh for sure. Because their out of conference schedule isn't exactly super strong. Right. But until I see them beat the likes of Florida State, and Florida State is again kind of in this you know, no man's land of a program right now. I need to see them beat Florida State. I need to see them beat Miami again. And I need to see them beat Virginia Tech maybe, you know, once <laughs> once this decade. Right. So until that happens, I'm not picking them right. ever. And it's they're in a they're in a prove it situation. I just don't think they have enough on offense this season to beat the teams that everybody thinks they're going to beat. Right. But again, there's that parody in the ACC. I said Virginia Tech's going to lose to a team to be named later. I just Virginia Tech loves to slip up against the team that you just don't see coming. Right. Um, and you know, I it I, I pretty much had one to two losses for each of these teams. You know, maybe three for for, for Virginia. I could see them having less than that. I just I I have a feeling none of none of those teams will have less than two losses by the end of the season it's just looking at it right now that's just kind of what it feels like right now yeah. so it's really it's really tough to gauge at this point it is and, and you know uva is one of those teams too that it, it, every now and then you'll have the media just latch onto a team and it's almost like a snowball effect where nobody's really questioning anything anymore and they're just saying oh well it's a foregone conclusion now that uva is going to be a favorite in the in the acc coastal and that's just I think that's a big jump. That's a big jump for that team to make. Uh, you go from a team uh, last year showing that they have a pulse, and because they've shown that they have a pulse, uh, basically they're being lopped on top of leaderboards in the ACC Coastal. Um, I do think they're coming in third uh, behind Virginia Tech and uh, Miami. I think Virginia Tech's going to end up on top of Miami, as I mentioned. Um, and, and games games that Miami could slip up on, uh, you got Duke at the end of the season, which could be a tough game. And then, you know, Another team that could potentially have a lot to play for and have a lot of momentum behind them is is the second game of the year for them, which is at UNC. Um, I see that as a potential for a trap game for Miami. Again, um, when you don't have that consistent quarterback play, almost every game becomes a potential trap game. And I don't see that with Virginia Tech. Now, it's like you mentioned, I don't know where that loss comes from for Virginia Tech. They could beat Miami, but I do think I feel pretty confident if that were to happen, that Virginia Tech would slip up. I don't see any three of these teams going undefeated. No, and if they did, it would be a huge, yeah. a huge surprise. Oh my gosh! Yeah, to to everybody, yeah. you know, regardless of what they say. So, um, let's talk about the rest of the teams in the coastal real quick, Tim. So we've got Pitt. You know, Pitt got some bad news recently um, with their top pass rusher and uh, Rashad Weaver going down yeah. toward ACL. 
Had six and a half sacks last year, 14 tackles for a loss, three fumble recoveries. Yeah, Huge, time. devastating loss for that defensive line. Um, it is one of Pitt's deeper positions. Obviously, it got a little bit thinner there, but they've got you know Patrick Jones, um, you know defensive tackle Amir Watts, who who are uh, stepping up in the off season. But you know, really, the story for Pitt Tim is is offense. So this is a team that's replacing four offensive linemen. They have to replace both Quadrioles and a Darren Hall, who each went over a right. thousand yards last year. They've got a new offensive coordinator in Mark Whipple, who you know he's he's got a pretty pretty decent resume. But you know this is a big a big overhaul on offense in year one, and you've got a quarterback in Kenny Pickett who you know had eight yards passing against Clemson in the ACC <laughs> championship. Right. So I don't really care what I'm hearing about Kenny Pickett this offseason. I've heard that he's much improved and he looks better. Well, that's great. I got to see it. And until I see it, especially behind a brand new offensive line and new running backs, I just, I'm not going to believe it. And I just think this entire little setup just kind of is going to spell disaster for Pitt this season. I really kind of see them, if, if they win six games, I think that would be a good season. Oh, yeah, and and I don't see six games being won. I see this as a losing team uh, for all the reasons you mentioned. Replacing four offensive linemen is hard enough. Mark Whipple wants to come in and throw the ball um, on a pro-style offense, which if you know anything about a pro-style offense, the key to throwing the ball on a pro-style offense is eliminating the pass rush um, because your quarterback will be spending time in the pocket. Uh, more than maybe other other uh, offenses that you could be running. And Kenny Pickett just hasn't looked comfortable as a quarterback um, in his entire time playing for Pitt uh, outside of small spurts here and there. I don't see them improving enough to be able to break that six-win mark. I think you're looking at a 5-7 and seven football team here, um, maybe even a little worse than that, maybe a four-win football program, and maybe that's selling them a little low. But I just don't – there's nothing I really love about Pitt this year, um, and it's kind of underwhelming. Something I thought was was pretty interesting to think about. Narduzzi's seen as a big time defensive guy. He was defensive coordinator uh, with uh, Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State. In his last uh, in his last years there at Michigan State, he fielded the ninth ranked defense, the second ranked defense, the third ranked defense, and the fourteenth ranked defense in uh, defensive S and P plus, which is efficiency ratings. Since being at Pitt, his defensive ha- defenses have ranked thirty fifth, seventy fifth, forty eighth, and fifty third. So not quite reaching the levels that I think Pitt had expected, uh, you know, that team to reach uh, under his tutelage. So Narduzzi going to have to lean into that defense this year, and that becomes harder losing your, uh, your very, very good defensive end um, before the season even starts. So I'm, I'm not loving the Pitt Panthers. I wasn't uh, before the injury, and I'm especially not now. So I see a 5-7 and seven football team there. Yeah, I've got them there as well. Um, let's jump over to Duke. So the injury bug seems to be in that locker room at the moment. You know, Jake Bobo has gone down with the fractured clavicle. Uh, that was a big blow to the receiving core. You know, he's expected to be a starter. Um, cornerback or quarterback Gunnar Holmberg, who was really kind of vying for that second string job. He went down with what they're calling a non ligament knee injury. So not sure what that means exactly. Um, but probably like a meniscus or something along those lines. Uh, it will require surgery. Um, so um, he seems to be out of the out of the mix for for now. But you know, really, the guy for 
for uh, Duke this year is Quentin Harris. And, you know, quarterback-wise, it's going to be a lot of pressure on Harris to play consistently, which is one of the knocks against him coming into the season. So he's replacing Daniel Jones, who wasn't exactly the most exciting quarterback to watch, but, you know, did a nice job of protecting the football. He can go out and win you some football games. Um, he's the furthest thing from Daniel Jones that Duke could possibly have. And he's probably a better runner than a passer. Um, has to play consistent, has to protect the football. And he's going to really be at his best if he can just manage the game for Duke and let that running game kind of take care of business on offense, Tim. You've got Deion Jackson and, and Britton Brown, who is going to be a nice little one-two punch for this offense. Uh, Dion averaged five yards per carry last season, and uh, he's expected to be the starter. Uh, Duke on defense should be pretty solid. I mean, they return eight guys. Uh, you know, they're really focused on forcing turnovers in their fall camp. They only had four interceptions all the last season um, and still managed to, to come up with an eight and five record. So they've got safety Michael Carter coming back, uh, Dion Singleton. Um, he's had a nice start to his camp, and, uh, you know, They've got a couple defensive ends that I like in Victor. Um, God, this name always throws me. Demujek and uh, Trey Hornbuckle on the other side. So right. those are uh, those are two guys to watch on the defensive end uh, in the defensive line. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Duke will be uh, will be solid. I mean, I don't think they're going to be great. Uh, they don't have the easiest of schedules. I think six wins would be a, a good year for Duke, uh, but you know I've got them at five and seven at the moment. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm right there with you. I echo everything that you said. I think it's going to be an interesting year. It's going to be a tough year. Um, I think Quentin's going to get the job done, but he won't excel. Um, and I'm not saying that Daniel Jones was a world beater at all at quarterback, but he had his moments. Um, he could look like an absolute elite quarterback at times. Um, but Duke, uh, not expecting big things from them this year, but I do expect consistency. I mean, that's what Cutcliffe does. Um, so I am expecting maybe a little regression from what Cuddy is used to there at Duke, but I see a 6-6 six and six season for, uh, for Duke in 2019. Uh, so let's jump over to UNC, Tim. So Mac Brown, Mac Brown, Mac Brown has been the talk of the offseason. Um but really, I think kind of the assistance he's brought in are, are really the big story of, of what we should expect from this team, not just this year, but going forward. So, um, you know, offensively, Tim, we've got a quarterback situation to where, you know, they just don't have a lot of great quarterbacks, um, or at least proven quarterbacks. So Sam Howell seems to be the guy standing above the rest. He's a uh, four-star true freshman coming in. I, I, I feel pretty comfortable in saying Howell is going to be the guy on offense this year for, for North Carolina. Uh, the defense um, has looked better uh, in the fall camp um, than the offense has, which is really no surprise. Um, you know, Phil Longo is trying to install a an air raid um, at Chapel Hill, similar to what he had at Ole Miss. And uh, just with the inexperience at quarterback, got a young offensive line, young receivers, you know, really no proven commodities. It's, it's going to be a tough season there on offense. Defensively, you know, Jay Bateman is a guy who, you know, is expected to do big things. I think he will end up being a pretty good hire for this team. Um, and one position group I'm really interested in 
is uh, or their defensive backs coached by Dre Bly. And the reason I say that is Dre Bly is a guy who has zero coaching experience heading into this season. I think was really hired for a recruiting standpoint. Um, so that is uh, that is a position that I would say is um, maybe on high alert just from a how do they perform standpoint. Absolutely agree. And it's one of those situations where uh, Dre Bly, make no mistake, was brought to UNC to be used as a recruiting tool and to take advantage of his recruiting prowess, which is a smart move, um, in my opinion. I think he's already paid off there. Uh, certainly recruiting is, is going fairly well for UNC. It'll be interesting to see how those uh, those defensive backs are, are playing, you know, how, what they can get out of Storm Duck under Dre Bly's tutelage uh, will be great. But, uh, you know, I'm with you. I think Phil Longo and Bateman, while they are good hires, I think they're going to take a year especially Longo and the fact that they're completely changing their offense from a spread to an air raid. Um, I think that'll take some time to get where he wants to get. I do think they'll be okay. Um, You know, I'm expecting them to play some teams tough. I think they'll give Miami some trouble, um, especially, uh, you know, given that the game is in Chapel Hill and is early in the season. I think Howell will come into his own eventually, um, and he, he should be a fairly good quarterback by the end of the year. Um, but I'm not expecting any fireworks from them as far as a record goes. I think five and seven is where you see UNC this year. Yeah, I've actually got a bit four and eight. Um, I'm just not super high on them, and you know, not the easiest of schedules. South Carolina, Miami, Clemson, you know, UVA, Virginia Tech, and then you got teams like NC State and Duke and App State is a team that I think can can definitely beat them this year. So. Um, It'll it'll be interesting to watch what happens under them and um, how they can build that program up. But four and eight seems to be a likely spot for me, at least. Five five wins though wouldn't be out of the question. Um, and then let's let's hit on our last team, Tim, Jeff or Georgia Tech. So we got Jeff Collins, first year as head coach. It's going to be a long one because anytime you're moving from a triple option into a more um, you know modern day offense uh, that is not you know, horrendous to watch. Um, it's going to be difficult. Offensive line, quarterback, wide receivers, you know, they're just lacking at those positions right now. So four out of five of their offensive linemen were recruited for the triple option. So there's there's going to be some growing pains. Um, Quarterback-wise, really no idea what to expect. What they did do is they had 20 players play on both offense and defense in the spring to see if there's some guys they could maybe shift into other positions and it's pretty much just a tryout right now at Georgia Tech on the offensive side of the ball um at wide receiver you know their top options are Jalen Camp Malaki Carter and Amarian Brown um they've turned a couple of running backs into wide receivers with Nathan Cottrell and uh, have a couple of graduate transfers in Tyler Davis so Wide receiver is probably their strongest positional group. It's just a matter of who's going to get them that ball. Um, I don't. I just don't see a lot of wins for Georgia Tech this season, Tim. I, I think you know they've got some toss-up games on here, um, at least at the moment. But you know my 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 one lock on their schedule is the Citadel. Other than that, like I see maybe three wins for this team, but I could settle for less. Yeah, and, and of course I'm the same way. Uh, this is a rebuilding team, rebuilding scheme, rebuilding personnel. Um, certainly talented, but talented in a sense that they are ready to go run this Georgia Tech spread option, um, but not come out there and run uh, the spread. 
So it'll be interesting to see how they perform given their backgrounds. It'll be cool to see it come together. I think over the course of the year, we'll see some pretty good improvement there. Just wanted to say I, I, I'm really high on uh, Swaggy G, as you call him. Uh, I think he's going to make a fantastic head coach. He's really leaning into the whole Atlanta thing uh, in a way that Georgia Tech has not done historically. Um, and I, I think we're looking at a guy who's sitting on a sleeping giant right now as far as potential. Uh, and I think he'll unlock that, but it's going to be two to three years down the road. It's not going to be in year one like we're dealing with right now. Um, but we should see a foundation starting to be built this year. Ideally, you'd start to you'd, you'd hope that you'd see a fair amount of progress from game one to game twelve, just like anybody would. But I think even more so than other teams, it's going to be crucial that they lay the groundwork for what they're trying to do at Georgia Tech. And uh, I'm with you. I, I think they got three wins written all over them. So it sounds like we've got Clemson, Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game. Uh, that would be a rematch of 2016. Uh, it would certainly be a step up for the Hokies. It would be what you would expect from Clemson. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's uh, it's early. It's August. Football season is is fastly approaching. Um, but one thing's for sure: when this episode drops on Monday, football's really only going to be about six days away because Miami opens the season with Florida on August 24th in Orlando, and that pretty much kicks off the college football season. So one thing's for sure, football's close. We can smell it. We can feel it. Now it's just time to live it, and we're going to see what happens. Tim, anything else you want to say before we uh, we close this out? No, I just can't wait. I'm, I'm excited. Getting to go through these teams was fantastic. Uh, it's got me ready to go, uh, but it's not going to take much. You know, fall can't get here soon enough. I'm ready for cold weather. Um, I'm ready for tailgates, man, and I'm honestly just ready to see these programs start to battle it out. Uh, you know, it, it's a foregone conclusion in my mind that Clemson's going to win the ACC, um, but that doesn't mean the season isn't going to be exciting, and it's the ACC. We're going to have drama uh, until we can't stand it anymore, so I'm just ready to go, man. Yeah, absolutely, and just to steal a line from David Teal, you just got to gotta root for those storylines. Let's keep it interesting this season. I think that's the big thing. Yeah. Keep it interesting, keep it competitive, and uh, hopefully we have a few surprises because yeah. you know, that's, uh, that's always fun. So that is our show for today. This was your ACC Chowder and Grits preview. If this was your first time listening, thanks for, uh, thanks for stopping by. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, tell your friends, spread the word. Um, you can listen to us pretty much anywhere um, where you can download podcasts, that is. So Apple Podcasts is what we recommend, Spotify, you got TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, and Google Play Store. Or you can head over to ChowderAndGrits.com, check us out there as well, and follow us on Twitter at ChowderAndGrits. Tim, do you want to uh, remind these fine listeners about what they can do for us? Yeah, get tattoos of the Chowder and Grits logo on your chest. We'd all appreciate it. Uh, that's a power move, and it's certainly, you know, heading into next summer. I think you'll be beach ready uh, sporting that new tat, so we appreciate it. Um, and you can always just tell your friends, uh, follow us on social media, share our posts, let everybody know that you like us, uh, leave us reviews. All of that helps. Um, we're looking forward to getting into our standard uh, episode format as we move into week zero, as it's known. Um, and we'll be back with you guys next week with another episode. Uh, so we certainly look forward to that. And uh, thanks for being you.